broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hello, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Midtown Business Radio. Thank you very much for making us a part of your afternoon. We're pleased to introduce you today to Mr. Frank Martin, the principal and founder of Medical Consultants Group, uh, an organization here in the Atlanta area that serves the medical office community. Um, and from what I understand, you're consulting with them on a variety of levels um, to help them with some efficiencies. So we'll get down to talking about that. But uh, first of all, I want to say to you, thanks for taking time out of your afternoon to come out and tell us about what you're doing. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, let's get to it. So Medical Consultants Group, you're located in kind of Sandy Springs, but you serve the metro community. And, you know, as I said, talking to medical groups about how you can improve a variety of efficiencies. So talk a little bit about how you came to be and uh, who you tend to, you know, be the most help for. I've been in the medical business for well over 20 years uh, and had a chance to interact with both doctors' offices and also in hospitals. From a personal standpoint, I'm probably more familiar with the musculoskeletal system and working with orthopedists, but I've had a chance to work uh, across the spectrum with other kinds of specialties. Uh, as the president of an EMR company, um, I had a chance to, to find out how um, EMR software can and should impact practice productivity. Technology has to be useful to the doctor and has to help them improve the quality of their business, not only in terms of the clinical side, but also just in terms of the business side. Right. And so um, through that, obviously, you, you began to have a lot of relationships around the community, so I'm sure that you're a familiar face for them when you come to talk to them. But uh, tell me about, you know, what are the things that you focus on from a consulting perspective when you meet with a prospective group of physicians practice, um, are there some particular problem areas, some particular source of, of difficulties that you're trying to resolve for these groups that then can lead them to, like you talked about, greater clinical outcomes, greater efficiencies. I can see more patients in a given day. Obviously, that's good for my business. But then probably last but far from least is to then be able to have my practice be completely reimbursed by the financial parties on the backside after I've done my work. As we know, you know, I, I come from a physician practice myself and certainly see that you can do a great job clinically and then you really get down to work with trying to actually get your physicians paid for it. So, you know, talk about some of the things that you tend to focus on when you're, when you're meeting with a practice. The first thing we're going to do is focus on the billing and collection process. Um, there's uh, almost always holes we can find there. Uh, and, and that's kind of in three different stages. There's the amount of money that uh, you for which the practice bills. Okay, we'll do a quick check there just to make sure that all the coding and stuff like that is correct. Um, then we'll go on to make sure that they are um, filing claims in a timely manner. We are able to get 90% of all insurance dollars collected within 60 days, mm. which is better than most practices do. What's the typical DSO or day sales outstanding that you see for the physician practice sector? It's a very interesting question because not a lot of practices calculate DSOs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, from operations, I guess I think of it that way. They may call it something else. But how long do you typically see in the number of days after the claim has been submitted till they actually receive payment? Not counting patient balances, you're going to see someplace between 35 and 40 DSO. With through you, yeah. Because I was going to say that that sounds really really great. But uh, with without a consultant there help, helping them make sure they're filing everything correctly and then following up as they should, I would guess somewhere 60 to 90 plus. I know ours 
struggles with that sometimes. Well, again, if you throw patient balances in, it's going to yeah. skew the system, Margaret. But if you just look at insurance companies, it really shouldn't be any more than 40 days. I mean, we can manage that pretty well. Now, when, you, when you're visiting with the groups as you've kind of, you know, gotten into uh, the cult- consulting side of things, is it typically a situation where uh, someone is in an office that's wearing many hats that's handling this uh, part of the business for the practice, trying to do billing and also trying to do some clinical things? Uh, or do you find that more practices that you work with end up having kind of some dedicated staff who are focused on the, the billing and collection side of the practice? Most practices have dedicated staff, but they're not necessarily people who have been heavily trained, okay, or who concentrate on billing. Coding is very arcane, okay, and, and trying to make sure that all of the codes have been included the right way, the modifiers, that's kind of a big deal. So you want to make sure that those are done correctly. And then there's the whole just staying on top of the process. I mean, if you get a rejection, you have to get it back into the insurance company in a timely fashion if you have to file a secondary claim. So a lot of it is just, I don't necessarily want to refer to it as onerous, but it's just details and being able to stay on top of that and having a dedicated group of people who do nothing but that. At what point do you think it makes sense for a practice to outsource that function where they actually either part of it or all of it, whether they're bringing in, you know, access to, you know, say uh, a web-based application, for example, that would help them or even just saying, you know what, we're going to hire company XYZ to just handle that billing and collections. Is there kind of a point, a decision point that you would recommend uh, for a physician who may be listening at which point that, that it might be, you know, maybe that the, up front maybe look like it costs a little bit more, but in the end, because they're more efficient with their collections and the pace at which they get collected, that it actually turns into a return on the investment they make. Is there a point where you should decide internal person versus outside entity helping them with that process? Here's the numbers I can bring to the table. Okay, MGMA says that on average, doctor's offices will spend about 14% of the amount of money they collect on collecting that money. Okay, no, that's MGMA. One of the things that doctor's offices don't necessarily have the chance to analyze is they don't look at all of the different costs that go into that. So if you take the, the amount of floor, floor space that you have dedicated to the collection process, if you take the salaries, if you take the benefits, if you take any bonuses that are involved, if you take the software support, the hardware support, amortize the hardware, once you include all of those costs, the number can get to be a lot bigger than you think it is. From a pure return on investment standpoint, if, if one of the things the practice is looking at is return on physical space, okay? Mm-hmm. The billing department. They're, and not, the sp- they're not bringing revenue. They're just trying to collect the revenue that's been earned. That's exactly right. Yeah. So if it's physically possible and you can take this part of the practice that's currently dedicated to billing and make it another exam room, yeah. that's a big win. Wow. Okay. I never even really considered that as part of the element that you would think about. So, And I'm sure that that's probably one of those that's so obvious you just wouldn't even see it. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's just it's a different way of looking at things. But um, a couple of the numbers we've already discussed, if um, the amount of money you're collecting, if you're not getting 90% of your insurance dollars in within 60 days, that's grounds for maybe asking a couple of questions. Okay. If your DSO is significantly greater than 40 days. Again, that's grounds to ask a couple of questions. That's not necessarily justification for immediately switching, right? But with lots of different um, EMR companies, EMR slash PM companies, if you let them do the billing, 
the the uh, EMR and the PM are no additional charge. So there's the opportunity for you to lower costs for the practice. But again, it's you have to kind of look at it, and, and the deal is to make sure that the practice can become more productive and more effective. I see. And we talked a little bit about this before going in, and, and, and one of the elements that's changing as it relates to the financial side of, of being a medical practice, and, and you talked about this being kind of one of those important ones uh, that's worth looking at is talking about how things are changing now with regards to who's paying for what. Used to, you know, we'd have a great insurance plan and my insurance company is going to take care of the lion's share of it. But that's starting to change a little bit in favor of the insurance company and putting a little bit more obligation on the side of the patient. And so talk a little bit about that. How is that impacting the medical group practice nowadays? And, you know, what your advice is, you know, around that? Five years ago, um, about 10% of doctors' revenue was made up of patient balances. Now it's about 30% and predicted to go higher. Um, <clears throat> patient deductibles are rising rapidly. They're going to be forecast to be $5,000 within the next couple of years. So it almost feels like catastrophic insurance for the patient, yeah. which means that doctors' offices are going to have to do a better job of helping the patients understand, A, what their balance will be for a particular plan of treatment, and B, how the patient can best handle that. And it's awkward, as you and I were discussing, for right. the physician's office to be in the position of being the financial yeah. vehicle for you that. You want to be their doctor. You don't want to be saying, all right, Mr. Jones, how are you going to pay for this? That's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> right. It's just not where you want to start a clinical relationship like right. that. It's a, it really, I think, can be a wedge in the rapport that you're going to face with somebody that you got to start talking about this awkward, uncomfortable discussion of money. More and more practices are, are finding that to be in their best interest to have a position of a financial counselor who can sit down and talk to the patient and say, okay, look, for your insurance plan and for this plan of treatment that the doctor has recommended, the probable cost will be this. Mm -hmm. Now, how would you like to handle that? But the big deal is to, again, in my mind, not to put the practice in the, in the position of having to manage that payment program, but to outsource the management of the program to credit card companies or other institutions that are set up to be that exact thing. Something like a care credit or one of those types of entities? Sure. I see. Um, when, when a doctor is trying to improve their, you know, their margin, their, you know, it's a business. I mean, it's, it's, you know, obviously we're helping people get better and that's fantastic. But the reality of it is we all go into a business and, and, and healthcare is certainly no difference. So I'm sure that there's a number of areas where one can improve their profitability. We talked a little bit about uh, one just now where if you're able to better collect the revenues that you generate on yesterday's work, then obviously that's almost like giving yourself a raise because you can certainly lose a lot of that money, never see it the longer it gets uh, uh, from the time that you delivered the care to the time you're getting the money, the less likely you're going to get it. And then, of course, the last value it has to you when you get it. So uh, how, did, how can practices, in addition to collecting better, are there other ways that they can improve their operating margins, their profitability, you know, uh, through efficiencies of different kinds? At the end of the day, the clinical process is um – Gathering sufficient and accurate data to create an accurate clinical picture of the patient. Okay, Now, if you look at how that data is gathered, if you use a patient portal, you can get a pretty good amount of data at no cost to the practice because the patient provides it via the portal. Okay? Now, if the patient gets into the office, it's a question of who is gathering the data. One of the business maxims of process management is the lowest cost employee who can do the job 
should do the job. If the job requires a doctor to do it, then by all means the doctor should do it. If a lower cost employee can gather the data, then they should gather the data. One of the things an EMR can do is the doctor can set up the information that he wants other employees to gather and make sure that it's gathered in the right way. And that way, when the doctor finally gets in to see the patient, he will know that the information is going to be presented to him or her in the way that they would like it. And by doing that, you can lower the cost of the encounter. From a doctor's perspective, you sign a contract with an insurance company to accept X number of dollars for a group of services. That puts you in a fixed selling price environment. Well, if the selling price is fixed, the only way to control margins is to control costs. And in a doctor's office, costs are pretty much made up of who does what. Do you often see in, in physician practices having maybe a few more bodies walking around than they ought to? Things like that that can tr- contribute to their cost just because they're, they're nice people, but, you know, they're, and this, as nice people, maybe they have a few too many hand stirring the pot really that they could probably get by with a little bit less manpower? Uh, Absolutely. Um, Doctors have been used to setting up the practice in a way that makes them the most comfortable. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a difference between comfortable and productive. Okay. And just adding two encounters, uh, um, a primary care physician will collect on average about $65 per encounter. If you can add one encounter to the morning session and one encounter to the afternoon session, at the end of the day, that's over $30,000 of increased collected revenue just by adding one more encounter per session. And you could turn around and hand that all away with one employee. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, we talked to also going in uh, to the show about how, you know, things are changing a little bit now, you know, particularly more in the next year or two, how the reimbursement's going to follow patient outcomes and that. I know that, uh, you know, in talking to other uh, groups and uh, that were guests on the show that uh, patient satisfaction is going to tie into that. Talk a little bit. How does that play into what we're talking about here? And that is, you know, profitability, our margins and things like that. And just our our overall success as a practice? Um, Patient satisfaction, uh, first of all, um, the pay for performance bonuses that I'm used to seeing now are typically done for keeping patients on protocol. If more than X percent of patients in a given population, diabetic patients, asthmatic patients, if more than X percent are kept on protocol, then the practice gets a pay for for performance bonus. It will be someplace between 5 and 15%. Protocol typically is a series of observations that need to be taken at given intervals of time. So if you're dealing with a diabetic population, it's A1Cs. You have to take those every so often to make sure. The purpose of that, or at least the goal, is to make sure that increased medical expenses can be avoided. Like in the case of an asthmatic, a typical asthmatic visit to an emergency room is about $5,000. A visit to a doctor's office is about $50. So you can afford to take a lot of office visits if you can keep the patient out of the hospital. Right. <clears throat> and making sure that you do all the spirometry tests can be an indicator of whether or not the patient may have a higher probability to have to go into the hospital. Now, are these elements that you l- would look at as, you know, coming in in your role as a consultant? Would you be looking at things like that? Obviously, you know, we're going to focus heavily on the revenue cycle for a practice to make sure that they're, 
you know, maximizing their efficiency there and collecting the the revenues that come out the backside. But are, along with that on the front end, are, are you going to be kind of looking at that to see are there opportunities where they can maybe uh, improve how they're performing against that sort of a measure so that they are able to collect, you know, or generate, I guess, a, a greater level of revenue for the work they're doing? One of the products that we represent <clears throat> is a, um, a system of, of um, software, it's a software program that allows the doctors to see which, which patients are on protocol, which patients are off protocol, and what needs to be done to bring the patients that are off protocol back on. All you have to do is click on the patient's name <clears throat> if they're off protocol, and it will expand and show you a list of all of the steps that need to be taken. Now, there's a couple of cool things here. Keeping patients on protocol it means that you're not going to miss any steps in each individual encounter. It also means you're going to call the patient back in at appropriate intervals. Now, the combination of those two things, just for diabetic patients in one practice I worked with, increased revenue by $6,000 a month just for one diagnosis, diabetes. They were, I mean, they didn't mean to, but just stuff got left off, okay? Steps got missed. <clears throat> um, if you go to an insurance company, malpractice insurance company, a patient off protocol is a greater risk for litigation because you're vulnerable. You didn't their, do... Their outcome may turn south and you may not catch it in time and now they're behind the eight ball. There you go. But if the patients are on protocol, uh, what are they going to complain about? Now, what we're talking about doesn't necessarily mean more procedures. I was going to talk a little bit about that because, I mean, you know, I know one of the things that they're kind of trying to change with some of the more recent evolutions in healthcare reimbursement and all of that is to try to get away from rewarding you just because you do more procedures. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm confident that, that what we're talking about here as it relates to patient outcomes and patient satisfactions, you know, is kind of, kind of try to move away from that a little bit, you know, and closer to the, the DRG model in a way that, uh, for this, we'll pay you that and, and how you get to that best outcome that we know is kind of up to you. Um, but do you feel like that using the, the outcome-based model a little bit more would kind of lean away from, you know, incentivizing somebody to try to do this procedure and that procedure and maybe another procedure to, to generate revenue, and instead they're, they're focused more on, like you're talking about, making sure that we're touching all of those preventive bases that would maybe help eliminate a procedure down the road, but uh, in the long run, the patient outcomes improve. I think... <clears throat> making sure that all the procedures that need to be done and all the observations that need to be taken have been taken would be a big step toward decreasing the ultimate cost of medicine. Um, I, I think that um, patients have to understand that they share responsibility, not only financial responsibility, but they share clinical responsibility in that there are certain things they need to do in order to take care of themselves. But it, it, the doctor should be, a, in, I'm about to venture into the realm of offering an opinion, which is probably very dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, but if the doctor and the patient work together in a strategic partnership to manage the patient's health and well-being, as opposed to just the patient's illnesses, I think there's a lot that can be done to help lower the cost of healthcare. And that comes through, uh, I guess, an effective communication with the patient where you kind of sit down and you have to go over that. You can't just assume that they're going to stop eating Lucky Charms and Twinkies all day uh, and, and still have diabetes. Uh, so we have to try to modify those behaviors, what you're saying. Correct. With um, George is pretty active in the telemedicine realm. Uh, 
Okay, and there's lots of ways, patient portals, there's lots of handheld devices, there's lots you can do with your phone now. I'm finding social media is becoming quite the thing for medical practices to put out information through. Absolutely. So there's lots of ways that doctors can collect meaningful data on patients' conditions without requiring the patient to come into the office. And I think that's a trend that will probably continue. Now, population management, tell me about that. What, As it relates to a physician practice, what is it and you know, how does it affect you know, the outcome for the practice as a business? Um, think of a population as being any group of patients with a, a set of symptoms that hang together, okay? So uh, you could have um, a population of patients who presented with weakness and fatigue, as well as you could have a population of patients who have arthritis of the left knee or arthritis of the knee. Um, so it, the doctor at that point in time can make up his or her own protocol and decide what in that practice is considered to be a good standard of care. So it doesn't necessarily have to be just the protocol recommended by the insurance company for the five big chronic diagnoses. Now, everybody kind of knows that the chronic diagnoses are the places where most of the money in healthcare is spent. But if the doctor stops it and says, okay, look, I want to make sure that the entire system, my my technological infrastructure is set up so that I am always giving patients the best possible care, then the doctor can define the protocol, the software can report and let the doctor see which patients are on protocol and which patients are off protocol. And it presents an organized picture that not only allows the doctor to do a better job of keeping the patients healthy, it also, I think, can help the practice do a better job of looking at the patient and saying, here's what your financial responsibilities will be. And you mentioned earlier having some access to software and stuff that kind of helps you, you know, the, the patient side of things, or at least helping us stay in touch with the patient to make sure they're staying on the protocol that you're providing to the patient, you know, both through our direct interaction when we're in the office, but then you're talking about implementing some tele, telehealth measures that may possibly help us stay in touch with the patient when they're outside of my office, but I might still be able to actually check in with them and and influence some of their behaviors while they're away from the office. Yeah, you can get hyper, you can get PO2 readings uh, through your cell phone. You can get blood pressure readings through your cell phone. There's lots and lots of things. And again, if, if the doctor changes the if the doctor changes the questioning process a little bit and makes the questions he asks he or she asks to the patient a little bit more precise, then the patient can provide that data. Now, it goes past, you know, how you feeling, which is obviously an important question. But then if you can be a little bit more specific and begin to teach the patient, when I ask you about pain-free range of motion, here's what I'm looking for. So that makes, again, it, it, it makes the doctor and the patient a better working team if they know how to share information back and forth. And, and speaking of information, we've talked, you know, here and there through our conversation today about electronic medical records. But how, you know, what do you feel is kind of the underlying way that an electronic medical record or ways that they help us improve efficiency so that you talked, you know, you talked about if you can add a, a visit here in this in this section of the day and another one here, then obviously that has a huge impact on our practice overall, as, you know, from a revenue perspective. But I mean, you know, how does that help me see more patients? It's, it's a piece of software. How does I, I got to see the patients. How does that help me do that? <clears throat> um, if you spend time organizing the workflow, you're going to make sure that everyone you want to present, the screen needs to be sure that it's presenting the right information to the right person at the right time in the process of seeing the patient. So when the patient goes back from the um, waiting room to the exam room, a decision has to be made about who's going to be the first person to see the patient and specifically what information are they going to gather. 
And then in a perfect world, you would give the office manager a view of the entire office so the office manager could see how long a patient had been waiting at a given station. Because the office manager needs to know, you know, when I've got a bottleneck, when I need to provide just motivation, or when I need to step in and, and actually fix something. So it could be uh, it could be uh, an execution issue. We've got the right people. We've got the numbers that we need to make the office click so that a patient's not sitting here waiting and then now sitting here waiting. Um, it could be execution. It could be identifying the fact that, hey, you might need an extra medical assistant, for example, or maybe a practical nurse or a nurse or whatever it may be. You can actually kind of advise on that and help through this kind of process. You can uh, eliminate sure. what those problems are. <clears throat> you need to take a look at it's referred to as door-to-door time. Okay, what's the amount of time it takes on average for the patient to walk in the front door and then to walk back out the front door? All right, and then you can look at the different stages within the practice. From a patient satisfaction standpoint, <clears throat> time in the waiting room or time spent unattended is one of the major contributing oh, factors. Yeah. You know, okay. you look on some of the you know physician rating websites, and that's the thing you'll almost always see is had to get there 30 minutes before my appointment, then I sat in the waiting room for 45 minutes, um, and then I sat in the, you know, sat in my gown in the, in, the, in the exam room for another 30 or 45 minutes. I'm sure that's just, you know, a big irritant for the patient. So do you see, uh, as you engage with your clients um, and they maybe implement some of these measures, uh, an effective EMR and some of the things that you would look at, you see that actual time itself, that one, that big element in patient satisfaction start to shrink so that the patients themselves are actually a little bit more satisfied with with their interaction? Yes. Um, It's mainly getting the practice aware of this is one of the things that we need to measure and manage. Um, In the world of customer satisfaction, there are things called shadow events. It's an event that casts a shadow on the rest of the experience. Mm. Like in the airline business, if the plane leaves on time, the meals are better, the movie's better, the seat's right. more comfortable. If the plane's 45 minutes late, it doesn't matter. You're right. just not happy when you get on the plane. It turns out in the world of patient satisfaction, just as you indicated, wait times are a shadow event that cast a, a shadow on the rest of the patient experience. So if you can be aware of managing that and make the office manager, put the office manager in a position where they can see how long the patient's been there and see where the hangups are. Okay, and then, I mean, if you look at most doctors' schedules, the schedule will say, well, they should be out of here at 5.15 every single day. They usually aren't, right. okay, and because something got hung up, right? So if you get a chance to study those hang-ups and find out where, where is this occurring on a routine basis, and having an EMR can let you do that because you can see who's taking the most time. So with your consulting group, um, how are physician groups finding you? Are you, are you, you know, knocking on a door to say, hey, hello, this is, this is what we do. We can help you. Do you have somebody that's calling a practice to try to introduce themselves to, to them? I mean, how do people, you know, in, in the physician group know who you are, what you can do for them? Right, <clears throat> right now I've got a pretty good size web presence, and I'm developing that more and more and more. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a good idea to go out cold calling on doctor's offices. I don't think that's productive. Okay, um, I'm attending MGMA meetings. There's one coming up on September 11th. It's a, a, a an all-day summit on patient balances, which is of course appropriate and uh, for what I do and, and how I can help practices. But <clears throat> I think that the best thing is to facilitate people finding me when they're self-identified and they say, "Like I got a problem, mm-hmm. right? Where do I go for this? 
well, I want you to find me. Do you find that those people, I mean, before I ask this question, who, who, who is that person that typically is reaching out to you? Is it the doctor? Is it the practice administrator? Is it a, an executive over the practice of some kind that you're actually, you know, doing what you do with? Who, how, who, who are you interacting with? Could be all of the above. Okay. Um, it's primarily going to be a doctor or an office manager. But and do you find that they are going online, you know, either looking, actively looking, or do they use, how often do they know they have a problem they're trying to fix versus you, you sit down, have a conversation, ask a couple questions, and then all of a sudden the light comes on and they're like, oh my gosh, we got to talk further. Um, it, you'll be surprised at some of the numbers. Um, search engine optimization is all about finding the terms that people yeah. are using to search. You know, okay. um, there are, if my memory serves me correctly, there are 18,000 searches done every month on doctor's billing services. So I just need to make sure that a, a good portion of those find me. Okay. And then I want to make sure that the information I provide on the website, and you ask some great questions. How does a doctor know when's the right time? We have a cost calculator on the website okay. so people can put in the different costs and understand what the percentage they're currently paying for billing might be. And we can check and see if we can do better than that. So, I mean, I, I want to be as transparent as I possibly can in helping people make that decision. Now, when they engage with medical consultants group, do they, is it, for lack of a better way to describe it, is it kind of like a subscription? They're going to actually then sign on and, and you kind of become a, maybe in the background a little bit, but you're kind of an ongoing presence over a period of time, or do you come in and it's more project-oriented where you're going to come in, you're going to evaluate points, you know, 1 through 15 and, and or whatever that may be, and, you know, try to identify some opportunities for improvement that you can point out? How does that flow for you as you interact with your practice? Um, I, I want it to be project-oriented. I want to make sure that we have a tight idea of what the project is going to be. Um, there's kind of three different sections. There's billing and collections, there's operations, and then there's marketing. Right? And I'm going to try to tackle billing and collections first because I believe that there's a big opportunity to help doctors make more money on the existing flow of patients. Mm -hmm. And they typically like that. Yeah. Okay. Give yourself a raise on work you've already done. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Now, then the next thing is, then we'll worry about operations. If we can get you more money per encounter, then we'll worry about trying to get you more encounters. All right, now, we've given you more money per encounter. We've given you more encounters. Now we've got to fill up the empty space, and that's what patient marketing is for. And all of that kind of rests on a foundation of compliance. You've got to be HIPAA compliant. You've got to be SCD10 compliant. You've got to be OSHA compliant. So it, it, given that you've met all those criteria, which is kind of entry stakes or table stakes, um, then we can work on the other parts of the system. But building and collections, I think, has to come first. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, before we run out of time, I like to have our guests, um, you know, kind of leave the, the audience with just a parting thought or two. So, you know, for a practice administrator or a physician that may be listening to the show today or in the podcast, uh, you know, are there a couple of points that you would really like to drive home for them to think about, you know, and, and then, you know, be able to weigh that against, you know, this is where we would provide you value. If you're interacting with us, you know, this is what we're going to do for you or just thought points that you would leave the audience with before we have to go? Um, uh, first thing would be to check the, uh, against the numbers we already discussed. Are you collecting 60% of your, I'm sorry, are you collecting 90% of your uh, insurance accounts receivables in the 60 days? Are your day sales outstanding greater than 45 or 50 days? Again, those are just questions. And if the answer to that is, no, I'm not collecting that fast or my DSO is much larger than that, then that may be grounds to just have a conversation. 
all right? If you find yourself struggling and spending a lot more time collecting patient balances, then that would be another trigger that would say, okay, maybe we just need to discuss this. So those three things for sure. And then the other stuff, if, if, you are, um, if, you're, if you're mad at your EMR, okay, it may not be your EMR. It may just be the way that it's set up. 40% of doctors are not pleased with the way the workflow goes, and they think the EMR can get in their way. may not necessarily be the EMR's fault. Okay, mm-hmm. it could be just a setup. Right. And if you're not attracting the kind of if you, the, the number and the type of patients you want, that's obviously a marketing issue. Now, with the as it relates to the marketing side of things, do you do some marketing features as part of what you do or do you help them with structuring that so it's more effective? I'm going to help them structure it so it's more effective and I'll rely heavily I on see. the web there. OK. OK. Because 80 percent of patients, 80 percent of people now go to the web first when they're looking for a doctor. All right. And and so before we jump off, we'll give out your uh, web presence here because we're on Facebook, Twitter and on the on the web. And then we'll give you the the uh, the radio shows information as well. But the website is www.medicalconsultantsgroup, all one word, medicalconsultantsgroup.com. We're on the 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 consulting group is on Twitter at med consultant atl med consultant atl and then on facebook um i'll have you link up with me there because you're still working on your light you're, you're kind of like me once you t- once you get your lights up or your likes up then your your uh your address will flow but uh, you're also on facebook it'll be at medical dash consultants dash group if you search for that you'll certainly find it um, we link up with our guests on on our social media as well so that'll make it a little bit easier as well Phone number for the for the uh, consulting firm is 404-272-4883. Obviously, uh, our, our Midtown Business Radio folks can link up with us on Twitter at MidtownBRX. Same on Facebook.com slash MidtownBRX. Uh, link up us there. You'll be able to find our, our guests that we've had over time. We've just kind of taken over this show. We're very happy to be here. Thank you for coming out this afternoon, taking time out of your office to share with how you can help the the medical practice community here in the city. And uh, thank you out there listening today for making us a part of your afternoon. We'll see you next week.